thank you for joining us for another episode of Spatial Web AI Podcast. Uh, today, I have the great pleasure of introducing Dr. Arsalan Abtahi, uh, founder and executive chair of Symphony. Arsalan, thank you for uh, coming on our show today. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, okay. So now you present an interesting combination of skills. Uh, you're a medical doctor and uh, also technologist, uh, social workers, so smart city experts, uh, sustainable development. Uh, you seem uniquely equipped to tackle some of our greatest human challenges uh, that we face as we navigate the near future. So um, please tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, some of your background and kind of what drives you in the work that you're doing. Absolutely. Look, first of all, it's not about me. I always talk about a collective intelligence. So unless all of us come together, there is no way we can tackle any problem. So I'm just a node in the system. And I try to do everything I can to like, you know, as always we say, um, leave the world better than we found it, right? So uh, like you said, yeah, my background by training, I'm a medical doctor, and it actually does a lot of the things that I do actually do relate to one another, because uh, I feel like, you know, when we talk about a human being, this is a very comprehensive, complex system that actually resembles a city, if you think about it. So we have, you know, over 30 trillion cells, which are like many factories all working together to keep us alive, you know, energy systems, we have water systems, we have our kidney, we have like, you know, our liver, we have all these highways we call blood vessels that, you know, take energy and nutri nutrients all over the body. We have our nervous system, which is kind of the, uh, takes over the governance. So as you can see, again, this is like a full-fetched comprehensive city that we were talking about, right? Yeah. So uh, uh, in medical school, as I was learning more and more about how like our physiology works, how our anatomy works, uh, I could see kind of the microcosm of the universe, right? So when we zoom in, we see this complex system, but when we zoom out, we also see the same thing. So the holonic structures that we always talk about. So um, that's why when I graduated from medical school, I always had this perspective of kind of zooming out and, you know, really looking at our collective intelligence. And, you know, like, and again, on a cellular level, when we zoom in to our body under, we look at ourselves under a microscope, we see these islands of cells are, you know, connected together via an extracellular matrix and all, you know, kind of collaborating together. There is a very high level of interoperability between different parts of our body and how our homeostasis is maintained. So um, I was always thinking that, you know, when we as human beings come together, we are kind of like those cells, right? Yeah. So create this bigger body and not just us, you know, everything that's around us in our environment is part of that collective body. And uh, the problem is, you know, as human beings, we have kind of isolated ourselves from nature. So we live within an artificial system that doesn't have that level of automation, doesn't have that level of interoperability. And that's why we are kind of struggling in a lot of ways. But 
I believe that technology can bridge that gap, right? So it can, again, bring us together in a harmonious way uh, so that, you know, like we talk about biomimicry a lot. Uh, so we can kind of do the same thing that our body does in our cities. So that's kind of the, the analogy, you know, uh, behind uh, inclusive, sustainable, smart cities. So again, the organization Symphony uh, is on a mission to enable this multicultural programmable ecosystems we refer to as inclusive, sustainable, smart cities. And we're also working with the standard bodies such as IEEE to hopefully create an overarching standard for all the different components that need to come together to you know, have a new global standard for future urban design and especially smart city development. And the main reason why we call it symphony is because we believe that all those fragmented systems that need to come together, like different instruments that need to come together to create a symphony are already there all what we need to do is to kind of orchestrate them and again, create a symphony of, uh, you know, different voices, different technologies. And it's not just about technology. We have technology, we have science, policy, urban planning, architecture, uh, everything right. pretty much comes together. Yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, it's fascinating to me because um, when you talk about the different components that need to come together for interoperability, you know, it's quite a challenge. Um, you know, what do you see as maybe the greatest challenges that are surrounding, um, you know, the building of smart cities? And, you know, what does it mean to build an inclusive, uh, sustainable smart city? Well, so uh, first of all, I think the challenges, a lot of the challenges are not technical challenges or, you know, structural challenges or architectural challenges. I think most of the challenges we have as human beings lie in our own perspective of how we think of life and um, us, you know, just being uh, very competitive i think competition is a big uh, big part of that challenge because when you have this uh, mindset of um, a competitive mindset what happens is whatever you create is being created in a silo and then when we start creating these different silos what happens is you know there's no interoperability between these silos so it becomes very difficult to have a, you know, a, like a synergistic system, like, a, you know, inter, like with maximized interoperability, like in a city to understand exactly what is happening where and how to manage that system. Like Dan says, you know, if you can't uh, measure it, you can't manage it. So we right. have that lack, again, the silos, I think, uh, are uh, the main challenge and then breaking those silos and bringing them together again because you know we we create solutions and then those solutions turn into businesses and those businesses have certain business models and those business models are usually um, not incentivizing the developers to share knowledge they're all in silos because i'm going to want to hold on to what i'm creating here right, right. so again the challenge is us not it's not outside of us, it's our perspective. And I think that is something that 
that's getting resolved, you know, finally in the 21st century. And with all these challenges that we have ahead of us, climate change, socioeconomic, geopolitical, all these different challenges, we're finally waking up and understanding that um, unless we change that mindset and unless we yeah. come to collaborate with one another, uh, all this, you know, we're going to be wiped off of the planet. So. It's so true. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay, so, you know, uh, you've talked before about the four major pillars of these uh, sustainable smart cities. Um, maybe you could describe that for our audience. Absolutely. So, again, inclusive, sustainable smart cities. So, first of all, before that, the reason why we chose that, you know, kind of the phrase inclusive, sustainable smart cities is because we believe that uh, if you think about cities in today's world, right, right now, talk about, you know, San Francisco or LA or Dubai or Abidjan in Africa, yeah. any city. Uh, when you zoom out, what you see is not an ecosystem that we are thriving in. These are big marketplaces. So the way we design a city is like, you know, designing a gigantic marketplace, which is very exclusive, which is very unsustainable and super fragment. So they are exclusive, unsustainable or extractive, fragmented marketplaces that's what yeah. what's the flip side of that an exclusive unsustainable you know dumb marketplaces an inclusive sustainable smart city so just the kind of the mirror of that yeah. so uh the four major pillars of inclusive sustainable smart cities are environmental sustainability social inclusion and community resilience intelligent and participatory governance and inclusive economic development. These are the four major pillars. Okay. And then each have a set of indicators. They each have three different indicators that total of 12 different indicators that um, basically makes it much easier for cities to track their progress and you know really measure uh, their outcome and their output. And the, the, the main blueprint is the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And for those who don't know, like this is like, if you can see this will with 17 different colors, that's what it represents. So very quickly, for those who don't know about the UN SDGs, you have all the way from no poverty and zero hunger to good health and well-being, quality education, gender equality, water and sanitation, clean and affordable energy, decent work and economic growth, industry innovation and infrastructure. We have reduced inequalities, sustainable cities and communities, responsible consumption and production, climate action, life below water, life on land, peace, justice, and strong institutions, and finally, partnerships for goals. So these are the 17 uh, UN and sustainable isn't goals. Isn't the goal for that to reach those by 2030? The That's year 2030? Yes. So the That's not a big window of time. <laughs> so the alternative name for them is the 2030 agenda. And that's why this decade is called the decade of action. So that collectively we come together and try to achieve these goals. 
Uh, and, you know, usually when the goals are not achieved, they just change the name and change the deadline. So the UN SDGs are kind of the, you know, the child of millennial goals, which were supposed to be achieved by 2015. They didn't. Now we have the SDGs by 2030. But the very unique thing about this decade of action and uh, what makes us kind of hopeful to achieve these goals to a certain extent is the power of technology we have today. I mean, just think of AI, just AI on its own, you know, can really, like I call AI kind of like when I, when I think of AI, I think of it as a time machine yeah. that can really accelerate our progress to infinity. So whatever, like, because with the amount of data that AI can now process and learn from and, you know, automate things, whatever that would take us, you know, a year to do now can be done in an hour. Yeah. So it's just a matter of figuring out how to connect those dots together. And I think that's where really the power of, you know, tools such as the spatial web comes to the picture that can help us now, you know, um, again, have a really comprehensive sense of what is happening. Right. So, right. you know, the digital twin technology and everything that can help us again measure measure things and connect dots and then uh, use tools such as AI to automate the process and really uh, accelerate, you know, like that's really the term. Like, so like uh, every time I talk about what we are doing, I'm saying that, yes, we are out of Silicon Valley and we use a lot of technologies, but the center of our attention is not technology. We don't develop technology for the sake of technology. Technology is just like a comprehensive toolkit that can help us accelerate our progress to have uh, to improve quality of life, to, you know, really uh, uh, protect the environment. So those are really the center of our attention. The rest of it is just what do we have in the 21st century? What tool do we have in our toolkit that we didn't have before and how to leverage that? Okay, interesting. So you mentioned the spatial web. Um, tell me, I know Versus AI is one of your uh, strategic partners in uh, achieving the uh, the goals that you have set for these uh, inclusive, sustainable, smart cities. So how exactly are you working with Versus? Um, what is their technology bringing to the table for you? Absolutely. So, you know, in the beginning, I mentioned I had this comparison of a human being and a city, right? Yeah. And, uh, so now let's talk a little bit about that and then connect dots in that sense. So, uh, so, you know, when you just think of yourself for a moment, you have as a human being, you have a functional architecture, you have a structural architecture, the structural architecture being your body and your anatomy, the functional architecture being your mind. And the functional architecture, which is your mind, uh, now further divides into a conscious mind and a subconscious mind. The subconscious mind is the major one because that's like more than 90% of who you are, what you do, how you, you know, maintain your survival, you know, is the work of your subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. So as you and I are having this conversation, our subconscious mind is still digesting the breakfast we ate a few hours ago. Your hair is growing as we are having this conversation. Your cells are dividing as we are having this conversation. Your heart is beating 70 times or more or less 
And in a minute, as we are having this conversation, you're, you know, uh, without thinking about it, your breath is maintained. So you're breathing and a lot of things are happening in that city, right? So like you have no idea what else is happening. Like every single cell is producing certain proteins or hormones and, you know, everything that's happening in your brain. So again, trillions of little factories are in operation as we are having this conversation without you and I even realizing or knowing. Yeah. <laughs> that is what I'm saying. Like more than 90% of this whole system is controlled by a system that is completely subconscious and out of our you know, control, basically. Wow. Yeah. Then remains just a little bit of it, which is the conscious mind, which is now you and I having this intellectual conversation and thinking and, you know, maybe, you know, creating art or, you know, like all those extra stuff that we do with our conscious mind. Yeah. So, uh, so we have this incredible system in our body that automates our survival, basically. Right. Right. We don't, you and I ever even think about it or yeah. know or even know that it exists from the moment we are born to the moment we die. Now, when we talk about a city, which is basically uh, a place where, you know, you think of a city and, you know, again, when we look at the urbanization rate, of how, like, you know, by 2050, almost seven out of 10 billion people will be living in cities. And then beyond that, there's a point that all of us will be living in cities. So cities are kind of the epicenter for human habitation or human habitat, right? So if that's the place where we live, and if we are making the comparison between a human being and a city, What's lacking is, again, that functional architecture. So if you have this structural architecture, our highways, our roads, our hospitals, our buildings, everything, if you have siloed functional architectures around, like this system operates on its own, this hospital here operates on its own, that highway operates on its own. And, you know, with smart city, you know, technology, we are trying to kind of connect these different systems together and uh, make them automated but again what's lacking is the kind of the subconscious mind for the city which okay. is going to automate survival for us you know so if our subconscious mind is internally automating our survival but externally we still worry about ourselves where do i get the food where do i get my energy where do i get this where do i get that when that comes to the picture, when that becomes a challenge, what happens is now um, our technology can fill that gap. So um, when you think about it, you know, again, this is the very first time in human history that we can have these conversations because you finally have all those fragmented pieces. We have the AI, we have IoT, we have blockchain, we have robotics, we have 3D printers, we have, you know, the whole industry 4.0, everything, right? So at this point, what we need in order to create that subconscious mind to automate survival, 
which is again, we talked about the sustainable development goals, no poverty, zero hunger, good health and well-being, education for everyone, water and sanitation. These are the things that we shouldn't be worried about. Our technology needs to figure it out, you know, when our kind of the supply chain is connected, when we connect supply and demand, and then we have AI to like, look at this, this is how many people we have, and that's how much food they need every day. Now, yeah. look at, you know, uh, agriculture technology, let's look at, you know, smart contracts, let's look at this, let's look at drones, let's look at like all these technologies that can come together to figure out a way to automate the process of food production for as many people as we want, and then deliver that to their, you know, door. So at that point, we don't need to worry about food anymore, you know, because right. that system is automated the subconscious is taking care of that or same story goes with our energy production same story goes with water same story goes with everything that we need for education for healthcare. everything we need in order to survive must be automated so that we can start focusing on you know intellectual stuff art humanitarian work all these things that actually matter right yeah, yeah. So, no i was just gonna say i love this because you know that i see that all of this technology is literally ushering in this time period of abundance but you're right we need to we need to have these things uh underlying foundational things that are that are uh, facilitating the disbursement of all of that abundance so that it's not something that we're, we're thinking about or worrying about. It's just taking care of the people. It's taking care of, you know, our, our, our of humanity and our lives and the planet and, you know. Exactly. And, you know, now people are talking, like, you know, asking, so what, what's going to happen if AI is going to do all of that? What's going to happen to our jobs? I'm like, why do you need that job for? You need that <laughs> right. So you can go get food, right? So if the food, the, if that process is automated, just like, you know, the good example of it is in certain places, the internet itself is part of the feature, you know? So you, you have unlimited access to internet because you live in that city, right? So it's part of like an option that you have access to. Now, the rest of these things could be the same thing, right? Yeah. So, so like the main challenge, the reason why we haven't been able to do that is because uh, there is no standardized protocol that can make all these different siloed systems work synergistically. There is no actual uh, infrastructure that can help us maximize interoperability between these different siloed systems to have a holistic understanding of what's happening and then managing it, right? So when I met with Dan and when I learned about the spatial well, it was like, there you go. You know, that's exactly what's been missing. So again, yeah, a human being, I remember it was the first or second conversation we'd have, we had with Dan. I told him, you know, what you have done is, again, the analogy of having 30 trillion, more than 30 trillion cells communicating. We always talk about the cells. We never talk about the extracellular matrix and connective tissue that connects them all together. You are creating the extracellular matrix for everything else. So that's what the spatial web is to me. So when, again, he started explaining how, you know, the you know, one of the systems that does have this level of interoperability that we're talking about is the World Wide Web. 
because we have those protocols that you know kind of help like you know with the http protocol we have all the documents kind of connected together so that you can all access them right so right. the way you explain how we have in the internet we have this four there are four different layers that need to upgrade so that we can have a next generation of the concept we have the protocol layer we have the data layer we have the logic layer we have the interface layer and how you know the latest version of it is like using https for mobile as a protocol and then you know cloud for our data and apps for our logic and you know kind of finally touch screen for the interface layer and how are all, all these four layers on upgrading so we don't have uh touch screen anymore we're going to have we're going to have ar vr you know mixed reality technology right. yeah. as the interface we're not going to have apps as the logic layer we're going to have ai we just talk to ai we're not going to have cloud as a database now we have distributed ledgers and blockchain and finally that the last piece that had to come to you know really evolve our web from a web of documents to a web of spaces was the hyperspace transaction protocol which yeah. now instead of connecting documents together to have a web of documents basically connects everything to everything to have a web of you know connects this digital twin of spaces together to have a web of spaces or the spatial web so that was like i think the most incredible gift that uh <laughs> we could receive in order to you know really start thinking about now, now if that is the infrastructure if we have an infrastructure that can now support uh interoperability between everything and you know combining that with you know other you know hsml and uh next generation of ai uh that is what that is kind of the foundation that gives yeah. us the possibility to now start you know building spaces that are more intelligent more inclusive more sustainable and are all connected yeah. So, um, so it's interesting because, you know, uh, you know, we've talked before about this, uh, kind of multi-dimensional digital twin architecture and, you know, how it's not just going to be tracking all of the movements within a city, but also the social data, the environmental data, the, um, economic data and, you know, what that does for, um, kind of, uh, you know, syncing the human states with the environmental states, with the external states. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that and how how you envision all of this working together. I know you have other strategic partners that are coming together um, as this just giant global effort uh, to make this happen. So I love it. I'm fascinated by it. <laughs> Thank you. So again, going back to the human being example, because yeah. you know, it's like very tangible. When you talk about yourself, you're like, it makes a lot of sense now. Why don't we just apply that, you know, certain, like, again, biomimicry, apply that to other systems. So in like, there was a point that we had no tool to measure what's happening. You know, we, we couldn't even measure our own temperature. You know, like okay. think about it 200 years ago, 300 years ago, we had no idea. We had just our just feelings. Palm to the forehead. <laughs> You're warm. That means, right? So we couldn't draw correlations. Right. 
in today's world, we have all these devices, you know, Fitbit and Apple Watch and all these devices that are capturing certain biosignals from our skin, from our heart, from, you know, the temperature, everything that's happening within us. Yeah. Psychophysiologic data. That's part of, you know, our biometric identity, basically, right? Yeah. So we have these tools to finally measure our blood pressure, our heart rate, our temperature, our, you know, many things that can be measured. And on the other hand, we have systems that are now tracking our eye movements and tracking our, you know, emotions and tracking our facial recognition devices that can track our, you know, um, uh, other aspects uh, that basically, um, show our mostly our focus on our psychology not just physiology right so the more sensors we invent to measure what's happening inside and outside of us the better understanding the better holistic understanding of ourselves we have right right and that is the only way if we can finally get to a point where we can have a very comprehensive digital twin of a human being, meaning your heart rate goes up and the digital twin, the heart rate goes up, you know? So everything, every little change that's happening within your environment has a digital replica that, that is kind of, you know, manifesting that or mimicking that. That's, you know, that, that gives you a lot of power because now you can program yourself for a certain mental state or for a certain physical state. So you become kind of a programmable being, right? So if you feel yeah. depressed, you don't need to take a pill to chemically, you know, uh, uh, hack your brain to feel good even though it's depressed, right? What you can do is, you have like drawn correlations already so you feel a little sad you know what it, like what music or what temperature or what friend or what food can actually change your mental state change your emotional state change your physical state so you get to kind of program yourself for you know what you want to be or what you want to experience so it makes it a lot easier for you to be in control of who you are or what your goals are same thing for our cities. So if now we have this, you know, billions of IoT devices coming online and, you know, all the sensors and satellite data, and, uh, city data, and, you know, all this data that's been captured, when we put this data together with the right framework, uh, what happens is we get to create again a very comprehensive digital twin of that whole ecosystem. And now some data are related to the functional structure, again, highway data, parking data, you know, hospitals, this and that, pollution, temperature, all the, all the things that uh, basically uh, are part of the city. Yeah. Some data are related to the environment, you know, environmental data. Uh, some data are related to social data. So that, again, going so one of the main reasons that I really love this, you know, SDG framework is because we have social dimensions, we have environmental dimensions, we have economic dimensions. Yeah. So it's not just, you know, today's world, people are just talking about 
climate change and carbon footprint. And that's the only thing you hear. But there's right. 10 times other things. And they call it, it's funny, they call it uh, carbon tunnel syndrome. The only thing that <laughs> is carbon footprint and how to navigate that. But there are a lot of other factors. So um, when you have a system to measure the level of poverty, the level of hunger, you know, literacy and education, healthcare, all the way to climate action, all the way to, you know, quality jobs or decent jobs or energy, everything, right? So right. if you have a system that can uh, give you those measurements of where you are, you know, where you are, where is your poverty rate? Where is your hunger rate? Where is your, you know, what's the state of the environment? Uh, then is when you can have a comprehensive understanding of your society and um, the ecosystem that you have created. And when you have that measurement, it makes it much easier for you to now again manage it, right? right? Especially with the help of AI. And we talk about the programmability aspect of it, which is very fundamental in our work. That's part of the, this global standard that we are uh, in a process of creating is introducing programmable cities. Because when you have that digital replica and you have the AI kind of taking care of, you know, the data processing and learning and all of that, then instead of changing your city or trying to change the state of your society, you just program it, right? So you program the city so it lowers the carbon footprint, and then you know the system knows like that's the that's the factory that is like you know right where the issues are coming exactly. from yeah exactly and then it manages so just you slow down you speed up you do this you do, and it's all happening autonomously and, and you know we don't need to think about it or right. if there's a day where there's a wildfire and you see like you know the air quality is not good, you start taking care of other aspects to balance that out. These are just a few examples of what we can do to basically start thinking about programming our cities and having programmable ecosystems. Right. Now, um, this kind of leads into the idea of the improvements that it can make for policy making. And, you know, we've talked about that before. So, you know, it, it, that's really fascinating to me. So how do you use this data that you receive from this infrastructure to improve the way that, you know, government works and policies are made for the benefit of people versus you know, other entities. Yeah, I mean, that that's that's one of the major indicators that uh, we have, we call it uh, data-driven decision-making, basically. So again, these are the things that we, these are the tools that we have for the very first time in our history. So right. it's exciting. So maybe all of us should be very excited. I mean, a lot of people are uh, have like this pessimistic perspectives about the future, but they don't see what we have today that we've never had before, right? So originally, policy making was the job of people who were, you know, wiser or smarter or had more experience, or you know, uh, those were like, if you're smarter, if you're wiser, you know how to make policies that are good for everyone. And we still kind of have that we have, you know, governments, a few people making decisions and thinking that that's the right policy for everyone. 
um, which works and doesn't work in, depending on where you are in the world uh, and who's behind, you know, what are their agendas behind this policy makings. Right. We finally have, again, this big data and AI and uh, basically tools that can help us really uh, have a better sense of pattern recognition and have a better way of drawing correlations, right? So if I do X and Y happens, then, you know, and Y is not something I want, then I need to change the X or tweak it or, you know, right. uh, kind of improve it a little bit. So that's what we call data-driven decision-making. So not, not us, a lot of, it's not the term that we, we feel it, but it's being referred to as data-driven decision-making. So that it's kind of, I think, uh, it's like one of the conversations we actually had at the United Nations General Assembly uh, science session last year, and we're gonna have the same conversation this year again in September, which is how do we bridge the gap between uh, uh, basically, uh, policy making and uh, decision making, and you know, when we talk about data driven decision making, we are really talking about science because that's what science is. Mm -hmm. When you have data, when you look at data, and based on that data, you start, you know, making decisions or drawing correlations is when you are uh, basically having a scientific approach. So if we can make our policy making or data or data decision or decision making process more scientific, meaning instead of only relying on people's opinions, we rely on actual data. Yeah. You know, that's that's a big change. You know, that's like one of the most fundamental um tools that we can use to really start rethinking about policies and uh, yeah a lot of the decisions so, so let me ask you then because you just uh just recently got back from a trip to Africa uh -huh. and you know you were taking a lot of these ideas and what you know symphony is doing over there what was the purpose of that trip? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about um, kind of what the goal is there? Sure. So, you know, as like, uh, so at Symphony, what we have done is we have, uh, to give you just a little bit of history. So we have created a blueprint. And again, I'm talking about this 12 different indicators that come together and, uh, basically make it easier for cities, countries, regions to track their progress uh, towards achieving the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And um, so that's like creating a blueprint is part of it. Then we have created a global task force, which is, you know, like we, we have basically identified some of the most incredible minds on the planet. So people like Dan Mapes, people who are, uh, basically either technologists or scientists or policy experts or city officials or architects or investors or even artists all coming together to have a very multidisciplinary task force with a multidimensional perspective to not only design this blueprint but also implement them and maintain them. So like, you know, one of the guys we work with is a ex-Disney Imagineer so he's been part of 
all the way from you know conceptualizing to implementing to maintaining these theme parks, Disney theme parks around the world. So he knows exactly how to build a city from the ground up. Or we interesting. Have, <laughs> so we have, or we have people who are behind, you know, next generation of computers or next generation of web or you know all this really strong and amazing toolkits, uh, tools that are coming together for two different like two parallel purposes one is to transforming existing cities so an existing city we like create a digital twin bring all these different tools and you know kind of transform that that existing city into an inclusive sustainable smart city which is part of that you know standardization process and certification and all of that Another is to building uh, new cities from the ground up with a fresh perspective, which is very much needed uh, because, again, like we said, by 2050, the number of people who live in urban areas is going to almost double up. And wow. if you think about it, we have like almost 4 billion people living in urban areas today, and we already don't have enough infrastructure to support them to you know for housing for education for healthcare for food we still, we are already in trouble now imagine that number number doubling up by 2050 having almost 7 billion people living in cities and having almost 1.2 billion climate refugees so people who are displaced because of climate change imagine all those who live in shorelines and now they have they, have, they need to have a new place so in the next few decades, it's going to be very challenging in terms of infrastructure to support the needs of all these people. So we need the transformation of existing cities because cities have major carbon footprints and a lot of different problems. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, we need new cities to, you know, basically uh, house all these new people who are uh, rushing towards the urban areas. And most of this transition is actually happening in Africa and Asia. So uh, uh, Africa is a continent that has contributed to the least to climate change, but it's going to pay the most price, right? Okay. So, uh, well, because again, if you measure their carbon footprint and compare that to the US or China, you will see they haven't contributed a lot. But again, right. because of lack of infrastructure and uh, lack of self-sufficiency or a lot of the things that need to be in place, they're going to be really, uh, and again, all the, it's a huge continent, huge population. And um, so it's going to be very challenging for them to face uh, this uh, upcoming, not just climate, but you know, these, these crises are gonna overlap. So it's gonna be climate, when you have huge uh, number of people displaced, not having, you know, a place to live, Little by little, that turns into a geopolitical issue, and then the geopolitical issue turns into a socioeconomic issue, and the socioeconomic issues, and so it's like you know, just a really a complex situation that's very difficult to navigate, not just in Africa but everywhere in the world. Right. So um, that's why we think like prioritizing Africa and Latin America and places where there is a lack of infrastructure 
is very important, not just because they need it, but also because it's easier for us. Why is it easier, easier for us? Because when you go to places where there is lack of infrastructure, you can kind of bypass the physical infrastructure and jump into digital infrastructure. So, you know, so like to give you an example, if you like, like let's talk about education for a sec. So in terms of education in today's world, when you think of infrastructure for education, you know, you need to think of building a school and, you know, bringing teachers and, you know, all those physical things, elements and transportation and roads, all those physical elements need to come together to have an infrastructure for education system. Yeah. But very parallel to this, we have these technologies, you know, we have AR, VR, we have the metaverse, we have, you know, all these things that are making this like completely transforming the way education works. Mm -hmm. If you are in a country or if you are in a region where there's a very strong physical infrastructure for education and a lot of people are making money out of it or like, you know, depend on it, it's very difficult for you to make a transition from physical to digital because you first have to, you know, fight the existing infrastructure right. to overcome the politics <laughs> which is very difficult and yeah. that's where a lot of startups fail they have they have great products they're disrupting many industries but that's exactly you know the reason why they don't succeed because you know a lot of yeah. the times it's very difficult to uh uh change the existing right but when you go to places that there's already a lack of infrastructure, so they're already looking for a solution, it's very easy for them to be convinced to like, instead of, you know, wasting all of that money or resources to not build physical, we just directly bypass the physical and directly jump to digital. Yeah. Right. So instead of building schools, we build a platform <laughs> with codes, with computer yeah. codes. And instead of making all of that money building roads to make it easy for people to go to the schools, we buy VR headsets, right? So it makes it a lot yeah. easier. That's just one example that can be applied for energy, like, you know, transitioning to clean and affordable energy, telemedicine, pretty much everything. So it's a win-win situation where these countries need solutions and kind of like I always say, one of the main missions we have at Symphony is bridging the digital divide, closing the wow. digital divide, which is a big problem because if you think about it, some countries are becoming really, really, really advanced, especially with this wave of AI, like really, really advanced. Yeah. And some countries who don't have these technologies are like, you know, really in a few years, if they don't catch up, they're going to look like Stone Age compared to these countries. Yeah. So this divide, this gap is becoming more and more, you know, wider and wider. And the wider it becomes, the, 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 it becomes more difficult to want to bridge it right? right but this is the right time if we think that if we can create those you know multilateral collaboration and partnerships with those governments we can help them close the digital divide and you know also start thinking about building their own infrastructures and uh so that was kind of the answer to why africa <laughs> was like a long answer to your yeah, question no i love that though um yeah. 
Yeah, and that's and it's so important because I think that's something that a lot of people really do they're aware of you know, this digital divide, but, uh, you know, the solutions or any kind of a solution, anything that's viable always seems like way out of reach, way out of touch, because it's already such a massive divide. Um, and there's so, so many political issues and, and different things that, that seem insurmountable. So I love hearing everything that you're talking about, because you actually are you coming up with ways to make this, uh, to fold everybody into the same, um, the same path moving forward, you know, for humanity. And, and that's, that gives me a lot of hope. That's really awesome. I love that. Um, so is there anything else that uh, you feel would be important for, uh, you know, the viewers to understand about Symphony, uh, what you're doing? Um, is there anything we haven't discussed yet? Um, I think we pretty much discussed all the important topics, even though like it's, you know, for each of these pillars or indicators, I could talk for hours because again, you know, there's not a single topic or uh, industry that we're not touching. It's like, again, all the way from food supply chain to education, to energy, to healthcare, to climate, to everything. So there's a lot that we can talk about, but I think the most important message I personally have uh, for anyone is, again, technology, these blueprints, these agendas, these are all secondary. The most important thing is our individual perspectives. So if we are seeking a new reality, because, you know, we're all talking about this different, you know, different people, different groups have different agendas for the future. But if most most of us human beings want to live in more inclusive, more sustainable, more advanced ecosystems and have a better quality of life. And that's not something that is, you know, given it's not something that just comes in a silver platter. It's something that each and every single one of us need to work towards. It's like it's a collective mission. It's not something that one person or one group or one technology or one government can do. It's a collective yeah. mission that requires every single one of us, regardless of our education, regardless of our background, regardless of where we live. It's a mentality. It's a perspective that needs to change. And again, this perspective really comes from the main part of this uh, new perspective is to think of ourselves as a collective system, because, uh, you know, like one thing that I personally really love thinking about all the time is our identity and, you know, the, with the way we define ourselves. So when you say I, what is it that you're referring to? And usually we have, I think we have a very distorted sense of identity since when we are born, we are just programmed with this, you know, idea that you are born now, you need to have a name, a family name, a nationality, a religion, a language, uh, you know, these are your family, those are your friends, those are the strangers. This is just a very distorted way of thinking about yourself and others. Uh, so an alternative way is to think of yourself as an extension of everyone else so those are not your parents you're not their kids you're just an extension of those humans and they are an extension of someone else so there was a point that there was only two of us and we recreated ourselves over and over again now we have seven billion of us mm 
<laughs> and it looks like we have 30 trillion cells coming together to create this one unit. When we come together, we create a greater unit. And that is our collective intelligence. So the main silos that need to be broken down are not between AI and blockchain and AR and VR, are between ourselves. Oh, yeah. You know, so when we like from that perspective, anyone I know who has really come like thought about this perspective is not doing something about it. I'm one of them, you know, when I understand the kind of really the oneness, not just from a physiological, from a psychological or um, from a philosophical perspective, but from a really scientific perspective that when we talk about our genome, like 90% of more of our DNAs are identical, you know, when we talk about our subconscious mind and how nine, more than 90% of what we are is the subconscious, our subconscious are almost identical. So <laughs> instead of focusing on the differences and which are only in our stories, you know, you are you and I am, I'm, you have your name, I have my name. Instead of focusing on the differences in our stories, let's focus on what is common between us. And we can spend a lifetime discovering the commonalities between every single human being. So that's the that's the difficult thing to change technology development and making these systems interoperable is not a big challenge you just need a few years of research and development and you know you get it you get there but even if you have that but you're still operating from this state of mind that this is me and i'm in competition with everyone else and i'm here to just you know uh right. take care of myself that technology is not going to help you Right. That's it's a doomed mindset. <laughs> You'll so never this, get there alone. This is the challenge. The challenge is not an ex the, the fix is not something external. You know, I always say, like in the beginning, we said we have this sustainable development goal agenda by year 2030. We have like seven years to get there. Every time I talk about it, I'm saying we don't need seven years. We don't need 10 years. We don't need 100 years. It could happen in five minutes if all of us would come together and yeah. decide that from now on, if you come to me and you are hungry and I have extra food, I give the goddamn food to you because I'm feeding myself, I'm not feeding a stranger. Then in five minutes, we would have zero hunger, you know? Oh, yeah, I love if that. If you're a teacher and I come to you and I say, I don't have money, but I need to learn this. And you have extra time to teach me that. Right. In five minutes, we have quality education for everyone. If you're a doctor and I come to you and I tell you, my kid is dying, but I don't have money to pay for his treatment. And you have extra time and you treat my kid. Guess what? We have good health and well-being in five minutes. Yeah. And other way around if you don't start changing this perspective and this attitude even a million years is not enough even a billion years is not enough so it's all about us yeah that's so powerful and that's such a powerful message and you know really it comes down to a message of love you know um love for each other and and you know wow so <sighs> Arsalan, thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing uh, what you're doing. It's so important. Um, how can people learn more? 
how can they get involved? Is there a way for them to get involved with what Symphony is doing? Um, how can they make an impact in their local communities to really uh, put, push forth, you know, your efforts? Is is there a way? Um, maybe absolutely. So uh, our website is not public yet because of several reasons. One of them is like we're looking for a very special occasion to launch it, and that's around the corner. But again, we are in conversations with different governments, with different groups around the world, and our community is already a big community. We have more than 50 global thought leaders and our extended networks. We have, I think, up to a thousand people that are, you know, just, you know, just just versus like up to 100 people. We have Planet Positive 2030, which is an initiative by IEEE standard association we have up to a few hundred global experts we have connected which is one of the largest uh, uh, sustainable development goal uh, networks we have so many different so like these people these 50 people each are like a community builder so imagine when all of our communities come together it's like an army of people ready to do this right so yeah. it's it's becoming easier and easier to find us because again, you know, you'll know someone who knows someone who's part of this network, right? Yeah. So uh, as the network is growing, I'm sure it becomes more and more accessible for people to learn more about it. And then I'm personally accessible, especially on LinkedIn and also Twitter. So, um, and again, just uh, the people that we work with are all very famous people. So it's it's easy to find them and then through them, find us and see what. Wonderful. And I'll put your links in the show notes uh, for the show so that people can reach out. And, you know, again, thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, it's been such a pleasure talking with you about all of this. Of course, it's it's been a great pleasure and honor for me as well. And again, uh, uh, I just want to, one more, since the theme of your show is the spatial web, I really want to thank that entire team, Dan Maves, Gabriel, Renee, and their entire team, Dr. Carl Freston, for doing such an amazing work. Again, uh, without that infrastructure, it's easy to dream, but without such infrastructures and such technologies, it becomes really challenging to actually execute. So uh, a big thanks to all of them for their amazing revolutionary work and very much looking forward to getting the most out of it. Awesome. Oh, yes. So um, on that note, I think we'll close out and thank you everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next time. 